Well, I'm thankful for the remedy we have in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles today and join me in turning to the Old Testament book of Genesis. The first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, is where we'll be today. I heard a saying, the saying says, a picture is worth a thousand words. How many of you this morning have heard that saying before? A picture is worth a thousand words. Good, most of you have. And, and uh, as I heard that, I came to understand in the course of time that a thousand words sometimes don't tell the whole story of the picture. I wanted to get a book recently that told the story behind the Christmas songs. I intended to give it to Brother Ryan. And as I began to look online, I found a book that I thought would work. It had a good title. They advertised the book, and I looked at the picture there on the Internet. It was a hardback book. It had a dust jacket, and, and it looked like it would be just perfect. So I went ahead and ordered it based more or less off of a picture, and this is the book that arrived in the mail, okay? Um, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. It has a great title, Stories Behind the Best Love Songs of Christmas. Great title. It was a beautiful picture. You can't see it, of course. It's microscopic in size, but, you know, it's got an old church house there with a Christmas tree out front. And, and uh, now I've got to tell you, this is a hardback book. It's a hardback book. It does have a dust jacket. They didn't lie necessarily, but what I saw in the picture was not exactly what I was expecting. The picture did not tell the whole story. You know, I have found that family portraits are many times the same way. Just about every family portrait you see, they all look happy, they're smiling, right? I mean, we all hear the word say cheese right before the picture is taken, and they, they look so happy, they all seem to have the same agenda. They even dressed and clothes to match for the picture. And there seems to be good structure in the home. Everyone is seated just so. But many times the family portraits don't tell the story of what happened leading up to the family portrait. They didn't hear the wife have to tell the husband, you're wearing this shirt today for the picture. And the husband say, but I don't like that shirt. And she said, you're wearing it. And then the husband, of course, says, yes, I will wear it, dear, okay? They don't uh, hear the story of the children saying, I don't want to sit here. I want to sit over there. And, and they don't see the smiles quickly fade after the flash goes off. And, and the picture itself may be beautiful. It may turn out in such a way that we would be happy to frame it and hang it on the halls of our home. But it doesn't always tell the whole story. I'm not saying we're dishonest in our family photos, but most of us in those pictures look a little better than we are in reality. Uh, I think we've all, having just come through the holiday seasons, we know a little bit about the stress that can come uh, upon families. I heard about Christmas at Charlie Brown's house recently, and Lucy walked in, and Lucy said, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Tis the season of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Therefore, I suggest that we forget all our differences and love one another today. Well, of course, Charlie Brown, he's so desperate for approval. He was so happy to hear that. His face immediately lit up, and, and he said, That is wonderful, Lucy. I'm so glad you said that. But tell me, do we have to love each other only at this season of the year? Why can't we love each other all year long? Lucy looked back at Charlie with a frown on her face and said, what are you, a fanatic or something? Okay. And I want to share with you, when it comes to our families, we should be a little fanatical. We should have that heart that says, I want my home to be the very best it can possibly be. I want my marriage to be a picture of Christian love. I, I want the relationships in my home to be excellent for the glory of God. I think we need to be fanatical in that way. Here's the question we need to ask. What if we could live like we look in our family portraits. If our agendas match like our clothes, like joy was in our hearts, like the smiles were on our face. What if we could really get it together like that? And the good news is, we can. And the reality of the news that we can is that 
It's not easy. It does take work. But with the help of God who created marriage in the home, we can find the relationships in our, in our families developed in such a way that the picture will be an accurate portrayal of what's really going on in our homes. To best understand the family, we need to go back to the beginning. And we'll find in our text today the first marriage ever. And more than that, we'll have an opportunity to look through the lens and see what God sees when He sees the family. Particularly, we'll see what God saw when He looked at the first family. And I think we can be encouraged and helped by this. And if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to God's Word together. Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll be. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to begin reading together in verse 18. The Bible says, and the Lord God said. Now I'm going to read on, but just as we think of those opening words, and the Lord God said, knowing we're dealing with the topic of of the home and family and marriage, uh, friends, don't you think that if God has something to say about the family, we would do well to listen? I'm grateful for any helpful book, for any lecture that can come along that has something to add in terms of of the relationships in my life. But when God takes time to say something about the home, all of us need to have a heart that says, Lord, I'm listening, all right? So the Bible says, and the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him in help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, And they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you, if you would please, to go back to verse 18. Again, those opening words. The Bible says, and the Lord God said. Now friends, I've alluded to this already today. There's not one of us here today who can accurately think, boy, I'm glad this message is coming for these people beside me here. Well, I'm glad pastor's going to straighten everyone else out who has problems in their families because this is a message I don't need, okay? None of us can feel that way. You you might have walked in the doors today with a heart heavy because those closest to you in your life, there's just a wedge there and you're heartbroken over it. You might have walked in today having the best family week you've ever had in the history of your life. But there's not one of us here today who can say, you know, when God's speaking through His Word, I don't need to listen. Because we all can learn, and we all can grow, and we all can be helped. And I'm going to do what I always do at this time in the service. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to help me to be an effective communicator of His truth. But I'm going to ask today that while I'm praying, that you and your heart will be praying. That you'll be praying, Lord, help me to receive the truth. Help me to learn. 
help me to grow. This is one of those occasions where it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. And uh, I want us to enter into this study today with, with really the, the right attitude of heart that says, God, uh, I want to learn. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Father, thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for the family, Lord, that you have created and ordained. And I pray that this morning, by way of Bible study, that we would better learn how to have families that would be reflective of your will, a place where your love and your grace would be seen. God, I need your help in this regard, and all of us today need your help to, to learn and apply these truths that we hear. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Several years ago, our family met a lady who was attending our church here, and, and we learned that she was a photographer. So I asked her if she would be willing to take our family's annual picture, and she said yes, and we met together, and she did a great job taking our pictures. She uh, was kind in the process. She, she did a great job in terms of the pictures themselves, and, and I noticed that she would often stage our family, tell us where to go, and generally uh, how to stand or how to sit, and then she would look through the lens of the camera. And after looking through the lens of the camera, she might ask someone to shift in one way or another, or to tilt your head this way or that way. I found that she had to tell me a lot to smile. Apparently, I stopped smiling after a little bit of adjusting, and she'd tell me to smile. And, and when she looked through the lens, she invariably would see things in our family that we could not see from our perspective. She had a better perspective as she looked through the lens. When it comes to marriage and the family, God has a perspective that we must gain. You see, when we listen to God, we find that He will guide us and direct us, and He'll lead us to the place that will bring the best possible outcome for life. You see, God invented marriage. God was there at the first wedding ceremony. In fact, God officiated the very first wedding ever. As God worked with Adam and Eve, some timeless truths emerged that will help us today. And, and as we look through the lens of God, so to speak, to determine what it is that He had to say at this first ever wedding ceremony, we can gain some help that will be an encouragement and a blessing to us. And as we look to this text, the first element really that comes to the surface as we see what it is that God has emphasized in the home, we see first of all this matter of companionship. Companionship. Listen to what God said in verse 18. He said, it is not good that the man should be alone. That's what God said. He said, it is not good. Now look up here for a moment. A few years ago, we as a church family took some time to go through the beginning chapters of this book of Genesis. We learned there of the creative power of God. We discovered how He brought all things together out of nothing. When the Bible says God created, the Hebrew word bara means out of nothing. He, he created all there is. And it's highly unusual, based on what we know of the Bible for this first chapter or so, for God to look at anything and say, it's not good. But God looks at Adam and says, it's not good that man should be alone. If we were to take the time today to go back and, and review chapter 1, we would find that, that uh, uh, God begins to do His work of creation. Heaven and earth are created. He separates light from darkness. He separates sky, land, and sea. And, and as He does, He assesses His work. And, and in verse 10 of chapter 1, God looks at His work and He says that it was good. 
In verses 11 and 12, God created all kinds of vegetation and plants and trees. And in the end of verse 12, we read that God saw that it was good. In verses 14 through 18, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And, and as God looks at His work of creation, the Bible says God saw that it was good. In verse 24, we see this again. He created sea creatures, flying creatures. Again, in verse 25, God created land animals of every shape and every variety. Throughout all of chapter 1, God in His work of creation evaluates His progress, perhaps as an artist would evaluate His canvas, and as He looks at His masterpiece, He says, it's good. It's good. He comes to Adam, and human beings are the crown of creation. When God looked at Adam, He did not say that it was good. When God looked at Adam, He said, very good. But now we come to a place in Scripture where God is assessing things and He says, this is not good. There's a problem here. Something is missing here. And we could wonder, what would, what would the problem with this picture be? As God is looking at this and evaluating this, what could the problem ever be? We, we find Adam, the crown of creation, living in a perfect environment. He's got great purpose and meaning uh, in his life. There was no sickness, no pain. There was no poverty. There was no crime, no hunger, no hatred. There was no pollution. There were no politicians. There was no traffic jams. There were no exams. It was paradise, and yet God looks at Adam and He says, not good, not good. You see, as God looked through, through His lens, so to speak, if I, may, if I may use that analogy, He saw that something was missing. God knows us from the inside out. And God has built into all of our lives some needs that can only be met through His will legitimately met through his will. And within the heart of Adam was a desire for companionship, was a desire to, to be with someone. And, and God knew that there was this need in Adam's life. He had a need for a, a life partner, for a wife. In Proverbs 18 and 22, the Bible says this, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. As we think of this, it's important to realize that marriage is wonderful. Marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is awesome, but marriage is not easy. This is not an automatic thing, a happy marriage. It takes work. I heard of a man who wanted to better his home, and he read a, a book entitled Man of the House. And it kind of had a bad attitude in that book. It was written by an author that had a bad attitude, apparently. And as he came home from work one day, having finished that book along the way in his community, he came home and he told his wife, he said, I want you to know from now on I'm the man of this house. Whatever I say goes. And I'm saying right here and I'm saying right now, you're going to make me a delicious dinner tonight and I want dessert prepared. His wife's just staring at him, you know. He said, when I'm done eating dinner, uh, you're going to draw me a warm bath. I'm going to sit and take a good long soak. He put his finger out and he said, and when I get done with that bath, uh, I want you to guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair. And his wife said, the funeral director, you know, and uh, she wasn't quite sure how that was all going to work out. I think sometimes we think this is something we can manipulate or we can coerce or if we're just dominant or domineering enough that we can force this into happening. I, I, I want to be clear today as we embark not just on a message but on a, on a new study. I, I want you to know that I'm not Pollyanna-ish in this. I don't want to be naive. I'm not suggesting to you that happy, happy all the time is, is the lot of every marriage in every situation. I want to be clear up front that, that, that no one is suggesting that the relationships within the family structure are easy. But I also 
also want to be clear up front that the relationships within the family structure have the capacity to be the greatest relationships that life has to offer. You can find the most fulfillment in the family relationships than any other. We see many times that we get so busy that our relationships kind of degenerate into two ships passing in the night. The basis for great relationships is friendships or companionship. And sometimes we have this desire to have quality marriages and quality families, but we don't see the connection of the need for investing time in building and developing the relationship. Now, periodic times of, of seclusion for the purpose of rest are helpful. But many times we live a voluntary life of isolation when it comes to family. We volunteer to be isolated. And that's a selfish thing. What I mean by that is we'll many times find a way or an excuse or a reason to be away from home. Within the context of our home, we'll find something that we need to do that will remove us from others. And, and even while we're under the same roof, so to speak, we can be emotionally and even physically so detached that we're two ships passing in the night. We've got different lives, different agendas. It's common today for there to be even different accounts, different, different times off. And, and, and we're just two people who are kind of sharing life, but not really sharing companionship. And when God looked at Adam, he saw that the need in his life wasn't just for another human being on the planet. It was for an authentic relationship. You see, there's no joy in a life that is lived for self. God, God looks, he says, it is not good for us to be alone. Solomon, the wisest man to, to have lived, added this. He said in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. I'm not talking here about a relationship that usurps the role that only God is to provide in our lives. I'm not talking about a relationship that makes an idol of our families. But I am talking about people who truly love one another and are enjoying the journey of life in a meaningful way because of the companionship they find within the context of family. As we evaluate this first family through the lens of God, we find that that there was a great need for companionship and God intended for it to be met through the avenue of marriage in the home. We see not only companionship, but as we look in this text, we see also compatibility. I want you to listen to what God says next. He says, I will make him and help meet for him. Last year in our couples conference, our, our speaker then was also Pastor Robert Bax. He did such a great job. And this was one of the verses he read in the course of his time with us. And, and he emphasized that we, we often read that verse so quick that we kind of make help meet one word. We say help meet. And he said that's not what it says at all. It says help meet. The word meet means suitable. It speaks of a compatibility. And God said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a help, a partner in life that is suitable, that is compatible. You two then can work together. The, the idea was not someone of a lesser value or a lesser role, but someone to make up a team. Eve was compatible with Adam in, in every way. You know, over the years, I've, I've had an opportunity to speak with people who in a moment of trial, in a moment of adversity, in relationships in the home, at times in marriage relationships, they'll think, you know, I've got this trump card here. When things go a little bit tough, I can always throw this trump card. And the trump card is, well, we're just not compatible. And the understood meaning in that statement is, 
must have married the wrong one. We're just not compatible. I must have married the wrong one. And and I want to say today, and I'm going to build on this, and frankly, if you get a little agitated today, I hope it agitates you enough to come back because we're going to build on everything we say today. I want to make this statement. If you're married right now, you are married to the right one. Many times our view of compatibility isn't totally congruent with reality. Now, as I began to think of this and study this, I I found out there's a definition to the word compatibility, all right? Compatibility is defined in the dictionary this way. Able to exist or occur together without conflict. Now, how many of you think there are two human beings on planet Earth who have the capacity to live together for an entire lifetime and never have one conflict? There's nobody who can do that, all right? Now, you all know that I'm nice almost all of the time, but sometimes Lisa gets a little crabby. I'll be honest with you, okay? And Don't tell her I said that. I'm sure here, I'm sure, okay? Uh, uh, Listen, there's no two people in the world who have the ability to go through life. If that's our idea of compatibility, no conflict at any time, then we're never going to have any compatibility. Listen, I want you to understand that compatibility is not something so much that you have. It is something that you give. It's a willingness, a desire to work together, to to be help that is suitable for one another. Think of that. No two people can do that automatically. We have to be willing to to love one another and to help one another. I heard of a lady who was complaining about her husband to her friend, and that's that's never a good thing to do, but she was. And and she said of her husband, he's just no good. He's just no good. And her, her friend said, well, what do you mean by that? Does he beat you up? She said, does he beat me up? No, I get up before him every morning. (laughs) Her friend was thinking, no, no, I I mean, do you have a grudge? Do you have a grudge? And she said, no, we don't have a grudge. We have a lovely carport, however, you know. Her friend's thinking, no, I'm trying to figure out what is your problem here? What's, What's your problem with this man? She said, he just can't communicate. You know, I never know what he's trying to say. And I think many times we go through life and we're more accusative in nature. Rather than taking personal accountability and personal responsibility, we try to look at others and figure out if there's a problem. How can I make sure to identify the problem as being their fault? Compatibility comes down to our decision to work with one another. It's a matter of giving, not of receiving. In verse 22, we learn that God made Eve from the rib of Adam. And someone has written this. They said, God took a rib from Adam's side. He didn't take a part of man's head so the woman would be over him, or a part of his foot so that she would be inferior to him. He took a rib from his side so that she would be companion to him, from under his arm that he would protect her, and from near his heart that he would love her. I believe that many today in families are posturing and maneuvering and competing to the point that they fail to be people who enjoy the product of teamwork and there are going to be some growth pains along the way there's a boy that came home from Sunday school one day and he shared with his mom and dad he was so excited he learned in Sunday school that God made Eve from Adam's side from a rib a few days later he came in he said mom my side hurts I think I'm having a wife you know he thought that's what was going on there and and I can promise you if you want to have a quality home if you want to have a quality marriage a marriage that would be honoring to the Lord I can assure you there are going to be some pains that come along the way as we begin to grow and learn and and apply truths to our lives. There are occasional bumps along the way, but when it is in our heart to love and help one another, we'll find a great blessing in the home. 
So we see a compatibility, but as we move on, I don't think it'll surprise any of us to know that the final thought that we see in relationship to the marriage and home is this matter of commitment. Commitment. Now, as God created Eve from Adam's rib and presented her to him, uh, we find some amazing things take place in this text. I want you to look, if you would, once again to our text. We'll look again at verse 23. I want us to read this together. As I read aloud, I hope in your heart you'll be following along. The Bible says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's the definition of woman. Out of man. In response to this, we read in verse 24. Therefore, in other words, on the basis of this wedding that God has performed, on the basis of these two now becoming one, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now listen, Adam and Eve probably had the best marriage ever because they didn't have any in-laws, okay? God, God created them out of nothing. God created them. But I want you to wonder with me, why, why in the world did God say, therefore, Adam and Eve, based on the fact that you've been married, the two have become one, uh, you need to leave your father and mother. They didn't have any. God created them. Why do you think God made a point of saying that? As he rehearses in his word before us the occasion of the first family uh, being formed in this first marriage ceremony, in the first occasion of, of a man and a woman coming together in, in, in this matrimonial bliss in this time. And, and yet God says you need to understand that on the basis of your marriage you need to leave father and mother. Could it be that God was trying to make a point that we need to get a hold of today? Could it be that God in His wisdom and in His sovereignty inspired writing of these words and kept them together so that as we study them today, we can discover a principle that will help us in our marriages? You see, Jesus reiterated this truth and added to it as He was speaking in the Gospel of Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, we read this. And He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that He which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Now the word leave is a pretty easy word to understand. The Bible's saying that you've got to remove yourself from mother and father if you're going to establish a strong marriage. But then the Bible says we're to cleave to one another. And I love that word cleave. I thought I knew what it meant, but when I looked it up in a Bible dictionary, I, I, I was even blessed when I saw that it means something a little different than I had imagined. I believe the definition is in your notes this morning. Here, th- listen, this is the first definition that was in my Bible dictionary when I looked this up. Here's what cleave means. To be stuck together. Now, how do you like that? You say, Pastor, what, what's one thing we can do to have a quality marriage? Stick together. Well, we're doing pretty good right now. Wonderful. Stick together. It's been a little tough lately. Okay? I understand that. Stick together. You have to leave, but then you have to cleave to one another. Sticking together. Uh, commitment in marriage understands that you are to stick with one another. I, I, I looked that up and I found that. And I, I wanted to let Lisa know, hey, you're supposed to stick with me. We're stuck. You are stuck with me. And she seemed okay with that. And I was, I was pleased with it. But really, that's one of the very ingredients of a quality marriage is an understanding that we're to stick together. People sometimes ask me if there's a biblical reason for divorce. And I, I know I'm going to say some things. I, I want you to hear me out. 
I want you to remember what our theme for this year is, unto His glory. Unto His glory. The question we should ask is this, God, I'm having a tough time right now. What can I do in my life in this situation that would bring you the greatest glory? And one thing we know about God is that He loves to put stuff together even when it's broken up a little bit. That's how God works. I I believe God is glorified in a marriage that works with great commitment to honor Him. Now, I know there's a conversation to be had for abuse, addiction, and adultery and those types of things. I'm sharing with you that, that the heart of those of us that are here today in relationship to our marriages and our families need to be a heart that says, God, uh, if we're married, we are compatible. This is the one for me. We're in a marriage. And God, I want you to help me in my life to have the kind of a marriage where we stick together. God's designed for marriage, and I know this is news to some. It's been one man. One man and one woman for one lifetime. That's God's plan. Now look, I know as I say this, someone's thinking, yeah, pastor, I never heard that, and I wish I'd heard that before. Or pastor, that that was always my desire, but I went through some things, and look, you got a real pastor, and I know I'm pastoring real people. And if you read a condemning tone into what we're talking about today, you're missing the point altogether. I'm not trying to rehash the past of any of our lives. I'm trying to say as we're going forward, there's the right mindset to have. After the early service, I want you to know those who expressed gratitude the most for this message were those that said, I wish I'd have heard that the first time around. I wish I'd have had that explained to me. And I want you to know that God can do something wonderful in your life and in your marriage and in your home. But there needs to be a heart of commitment that says, man, we're going to stick together. We're going to stick together. When we take some time to look through the photographer's lens, we gain a perspective that can help us greatly. When we began, I shared that a picture doesn't always tell the story. Sometimes a picture looks better than reality. That, that was the case in this beautiful hardback book I bought. I should have known better when it was only like $2, you know, but it was for Brother Ryan, so I thought, you know, that's probably about right. But, you know, sometimes a picture doesn't tell the story in the other direction. Reality is better than the picture. I remember growing up seeing pictures of the Grand Canyon. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's not bad. But, man, I remember the first time I stood there at the Grand Canyon. I thought, good night. I mean, a picture just could never do it justice. It's better than any picture you could ever show. It's just absolutely amazing. It's breathtaking. And and friends, I want you to know that when we come before the Lord with a heart that's open, that says, God, listen, I'll tell you who needs help the most in my family. It's me. Work in my life. Help me, Lord. I want to be all the me that you want me to be so that my family can be all that you would have it to be. You're going to find that God will work. Pictures are great, but God can do something that is better than the picture. Now, we have a lot more ground to cover in this series. I dare you. I double-dog dare you. Make a determination to come each Sunday as we study this. And I would imagine when we get through this series, 
If we've dealt honestly with the Word of God, all of us would say, I'm grateful for having invested the time that will make me a better, insert your role in your family there. We have a lot more ground to cover. But I'm telling you that when we gain God's perspective for our home, it can be better than we imagined. Your family portrait may be great, but I'm saying your family can be better. It's not easy. It takes work, but God tells us what needs to be done. And if we'll have a humble heart before the Lord, not looking to place blame, but looking to find solutions, God can begin to do a work. You see, because when the photographer looks through the lens, he sees the things we're not seeing from our perspective. And he can make the adjustments. And he can make things in such a way that the outcome is beautiful. And when God makes a family that is patterned after His Word, it's beautiful and it gives great glory to Him. Our Father, thank You for this opportunity.